Good morning, church. Would you join in prayer with me, please? Father God, you, your words say, this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Father God, we thank you for this new day, which is a precious gift from you. We thank you that this day come with new grace and new mercy. New opportunities, Lord, to serve and to glorify you. Father, help us to see that we can rejoice this morning in spite of our circumstances and situation that this day may have greeted us with. But we can rejoice, Lord, because our salvation has been placed in Christ, our Lord and our God. Father, we can rejoice this morning because we know without a doubt, Lord, that you would supply our need. Oh, Lord God, we can rejoice this morning because, Lord, we know that you are our God, our refuge, our strength, and our strong tower. Oh, Lord God, this morning we can rejoice knowing, Lord, that nothing can separate us from your great love. Oh, Father, we just give you glory. We give you thanks this morning, knowing that we are in Christ Jesus and we can truly rejoice. And all God people say, Amen. Amen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was hoping that Jack would not mention the word triumphant this morning. But since he did, I'm going to see if I can disprove that this morning. Because when I looked up the definition of triumphant, it said a, a great victory. And then it had synonyms such as victory, win, Conquest. That's what it said. Now, I have quite a few verses up here. I don't intend to go through those verses. We're going to look at Matthew 21, 1, 3, 11. Those are the verses that I'm going to attempt to do some exegetical interpretation of. But before we get to those verses, I want to read three other verses, Brother Tim. And that is uh, Isaiah 62, 11, Zechariah 9, 9-10, and Matthew 21, verses, verse 5. So will you stand with me as I read those verses? And this may be somewhat of a kind of curve, but kind of bear with me, and you'll see where I'm kind of going in regard to these three verses here. Hear the word of God as recorded in Isaiah chapter 62, verse 11. The Lord has proclaimed unto the end of the world, Say ye, the daughter of Zion, Behold, thou salvation come, Behold, his reward is with him, And his work before him. Zechariah chapter 9, Verse 9, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, shout, O daughter of Jerusalem, 
Behold, thou king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon a donkey and upon a coat defiled of a donkey. And then verse 10. And I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak peace unto the heathen and his dominion shall be from sea even to sea and from the river even to the end of the earth. And here's the uh, key verse that I'm going to look at today is Matthew 21 verse 5. And if you look at uh, Zechariah 9, you'll see some of this similar verse. Tell ye the daughter of Zion, behold, thou king cometh unto thee, meek and setting upon a donkey and a coat the fowl of a donkey. May the Lord bless the reading and the hearing of his holy word. Or you may be seated. Now, if you look at uh, Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, that, that particular verse speaks of Jesus Christ's first coming. And if you look down at Matthew 21, 5, Jesus is going to fulfill, fulfill Matt, uh, Zechariah 9, 9. That's why I want to read that particular verse. Palm Sunday, Jesus is going to fulfill Zechariah 9, 9. And if you notice in Matthew, that particular verse, verses Zechariah, it starts out saying, rejoice greatly. But you see no rejoicing in Matthew. But Jesus is going to finish the second half of Zechariah in Matthew 21.5. Now, if you look at Zechariah, you'll see four characteristics of the Messiah. You see, it says, Behold thy king. Your Messiah is a king. And he unto, and it says, He is just. The Messiah is just. And having salvation, the Messiah will bring salvation and lowly riding on a donkey. He is a humble Messiah. That's four key characteristics of the Messiah in Zechariah that we're going to see in Matthew. He's going to be lowly riding on a donkey. Okay? Okay. Okay. Now, what is Palm Sunday? Palm Sunday is the day we celebrate the triumphant entry of Jesus into Jerusalem one week before his death and resurrection. Palm Sunday marked the start of what is called Passion Week, the final seven days of Jesus' earthly ministry. Palm Sunday was the beginning of the end of Jesus' work on earth. That's what Palm Sunday is. His time has finally come to reveal who he is. Palm Sunday, Jesus is going to reveal to the nation of Israel and the whole world who he really is. Because if you recall in the past, he would always say, do not tell anyone. Do not tell anyone. But now, Palm Sunday, he wants the whole world to know who he is. That's what he's going to reveal, and that's what he's going to fulfill in Zechariah 9. That's what I want you to see. Now, personally, I do not consider this as a triumphant entry for Jesus Christ. 
Because within four days, they're going to ask for what? Crucify him. Four days later, they're going to say, crucify him. And I want to show you, based upon the Old Testament, what a triumphant interest really is. Because the natural always comes before the spiritual. Kings will go out to war. And kings will go out to war, and they will fight. And once they victorious, they will return back to their country. And prior to returning back to their country, they would send a messenger back saying, we won, we won. All the people would come out and they would line the street to receive their king back. And the king would ride in on a horse. And a horse indicate what? A warrior. So now the king is riding back into his country on his horse, showing that he is victorious, and he will bring some of the enemies with him, and he will march them to the street, and the people will come out excited and worship the king. And from there, they will go into the Roman Colosseum, and they will let the tigers and the lions loose, and have the enemies to fight with them, and as many of them will be killed. That's a triumphant entry for a king back to his country. Now you're going to tell me this is what this is all about. Jesus is doing? Jesus didn't come in on a horse. He came in on a what? And a donkey indicate what? Peace. I'm going to show you something, guys, today. Be patient with me. So we see. You remember this right here? They said what? Saul killed his what? 1,000 and David killed his what? And David was doing what out in the street. And all the people's out there with David because the king has come back victorious. See, that's a triumphant entry into the country. Okay? Now, as far as I'm concerned, I would call this a so-called triumphant entry. That's what I would call it. Okay? Now understand, you've got to understand what's going on here. The Jews are celebrating Passover. That's what they celebrated is Passover. And what does Passover represent? It represents this. The natural comes first. God leads his people out of what? Lead his people out of Egypt. This is their Passover. And prior to that, he gave them instruction to choose a what? A lamb that it may be what? Sacrificed. And they put blood on the doorpost. And if that's recognized, He's going to hop over that. you remember that? See, this is their Passover. So you go back years and years ago. In Matthew today, they are celebrating their Passover. So Jesus Christ is going into Jerusalem on their what? Passover. That's what he's doing. Because guess what? I don't know if you know this, but... 
the Jewish families must select the lamb that is going to be sacrificed on the Sunday of Passover. And Jesus Christ is going to ride into Jerusalem on a Sunday to offer himself up as the lamb of God. That's what's happening here. Jesus is taking advantage of this Passover because they're going to sacrifice these animals on Passover. And Jesus must be sacrificed on Passover. He must die on their Passover. Okay? So Christ is going into Jerusalem to offer himself up in the house of God as the lamb who take away the sins of the world. Amen. Now, let's go ahead and begin to look at these verses in Matthew chapter 21. 21 verse 1. Now, this particular verse, if you notice, it kind of set the stage for everything. Now, I put all those other chapters up there because what I'm going to do is I'm going to pull from all four Gospels to get this complete story of Passover. That's the only way that you're going to get the complete story. And that's why I put all those scriptures in the bulletin that you would have them that you can read the story for yourself and see that I'm not just making this up. So, but we're going to look at Matthew only. Okay? Okay. Now remember what I had said earlier. The key verse in this whole chapter, I'm going to say these 11 verses is chapter, is verse 5. And verse 5 reads like this here. You don't have to go there. I just want to read. Tell ye the daughters of Zion, behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek and setting upon a donkey, and a coat, the file of a donkey. Keep that in mind. It's very, very important to keep that in mind. Now, verse 1 says this. When they, when they drew near to Jerusalem, before he went into the city, he came to a place called Bethphage. Okay? And now, notice verse 2. Verse 1 kind of set the setting up. Verse 2, it says, He sent two disciples saying, Go into the village opposite you. And when he sent them, he was in Bethany. That's where he was at, in Bethany. And you remember, Bethany was a place that he had some very dear friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And that's where he raised Lazarus from the dead. So proud to Jesus riding into Jerusalem to be killed, he wanted to go and spend time with some very dear friends. And Bethany means the house of salt. Now continue to look at verse 2. And he said to the disciple, go to the village opposite you, which would be Bethaz, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a coat with her. And he said, loose them and bring them unto me. Now, he is beginning to make preparation to go into Jerusalem. That's why he is requesting the disciples to do this. Now you may have asked, how did he know about the animals? Well, you can say that he had supernatural knowledge and be correct. 
And it's important to understand that Jesus wanted to create a mass demonstration going into Jerusalem. This is what Jesus wants to do because you got to understand Jesus has ministered in many places. Galilee, Samaria, Korea, you name some other places he has ministered in. And everywhere Jesus has ministered, he has drew some very, very large crowd. So now, what Jesus wants to do here, going into Jerusalem, and we're going to see that, he wants to create a mass demonstration. Because he wants to provoke the Sadducees and Pharisees to kill him. He must die on Passover. God ordained it that way. And Jesus is going to carry this out. Okay? Okay? Now, and there's another reason that he created this mass demonstration. And that is because he wanted to anger the Sadducees and Pharisees, which I just kind of mentioned there. Okay? So now Jesus is on a divine schedule. He also did what he did in order to fulfill prophecy. He did this in order to fulfill prophecy going into Jerusalem on this dump. He wants to fulfill Zechariah 9.9. Okay? Now look at verse 3. And it goes, it reads as such. He said, if they ask you anything, just tell them the Lord has need of it. And they will send the animal with you. He said, the Lord, the sovereign one has need of it. Who does that animal belong to? Animal belong to God himself. The owner has been just loaned that animal. Now notice how the owner responds to Jesus. And he said the Lord has need of it. Since they readily obeyed and did not say no, they probably were believers. They probably were believers. They responded. Because they understood that the animal belonged to the Lord already. And in this church here, God has need of people in this church. Listen to me closely. Just like Jesus Christ had need of this animal, God has need of us in this church here today. Brother Larry, God has need of you. Brother Wynn, God has need of you. Brother Rhett, God has need of you. God is not going to put up a church and not put what he needs in this church. God has need of us here. (sighs) 
I think of the song, I surrender all. I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior. I surrender all. God will bless us tremendously and marvelously when we surrender all to him. Amen. People, God had Oh, here. Help me, Jesus, this morning. I just gonna do this. Oh, Lord. Oh, kill me. All this, guys, in verse 4, all of this was done there. Prophecy may be fulfilled. And we read that verse already in regards to Zechariah 9. And it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thou king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon a donkey, and upon a coat, the father of a donkey. Look at verse 5. Somebody might say, what in the world is that about? Nobody rides a donkey at a coronation. And basically, this is what the people are doing. They are having their own coronation to crown Jesus Christ as king. This is what they are doing. And as I said earlier, understand that donkey represents peace. And Jesus is coming into the city to bring peace. You you remember over there in Luke, peace on earth and goodwill towards who? All men. He is coming in peace. He is not riding a horse. A horse symbolized a warrior, as we said earlier. And we talked about this in our Sunday school plan. The people want a military messiah who will come in great power and overthrow Rome. He did not come to make war with Rome. He came to make peace with God for men. He came as one offering peace. And we are going to see when it's all said and done that people will accept Jesus, will not accept Jesus for who he is. The king of peace. And one of the gospel writers says, neither of those animals had ever been written And you might say, is that important, Morris? I say, yes, that's important because what you are saying is this. This animal has been saved for you. It's special for you, Lord, to fulfill prophecy. And you might say, well, why do they have to take the mother if he's going to ride the coat? The mother will lead the coat in the direction it needs to go. Because you gotta understand, it has not been written. And the coat is gonna follow the mother. And then you might say, well, why ride the coat? Why not ride the mother? Because the coat is more lowly than the mother. And Jesus is trying to seek the lowest, stupid, 
beast that he can find to fulfill this prophecy. And then look at verse 6. And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. And the disciples never questioned Jesus. Because they knew whatever he told them to do, it was right. And verse 7. And they brought the donkey and the coat and put on them their clothes and set him there upon. He took his seat upon the coat with the help of the disciples. So they weren't sure which animal that he was going to ride. So they bought both, both of them. And they put their clothes on both animals. And these are the disciples doing that. It's not the people's as of yet. In fact, about it, if you notice, it even says that the disciple helped him up on the coat. And once again, all to fulfill prophecy. And let me just say this, that at that particular time of Passover, it was estimated that perhaps 360,000 animals would be sacrificed during that particular week. And if you go back and read Exodus chapter 12, you would see that they were instructed that it would be 10 peoples in a household that will consume this animal. And if it wasn't 10 people, they would go to their neighbors next door to get the numbers that was required. This is Exodus chapter 12. So based upon 360,000 animals being sacrificed that week, you can almost say that there was 3.6 million people in the city of Jerusalem at that particular time. But now moving on to verse 8 and 9. And look at these verses with me. And it says, a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. They threw their clothes down, creating some kind of a carpet for him. And if you go back and read over in 2 Kings chapter 9, you'll see they did the same thing for King Jehu. And what they are saying is, this is worthy of a king. To do that is implying that. Now notice verse 9. And verse 9 is going to give us some idea of this multitude. And it says, and the multitude went before, before, and followed. Now try to get that picture in your mind. Now here's Jesus here. A multitude went before Jesus, and a multitude went behind Jesus. So you can see Jesus in between this multitude riding a coat. And what a picture. Can you visualize that? A multitude of people before him and behind him, and he's riding into Jerusalem on a coat. And then, verse 9 going to say, there's joy, there's excitement as he come in. And so this multitude move out, throwing everything at his feet. And they cry out. Now look what they cry. Hosanna to the son of David. To the son of David. 
That is not a spiritual characteristic of Jesus. That's a a physical characteristic of Jesus. The son of David. And we know that Hosanna means save now. And that's what they're crying out. Save now. Save now. Save now. They are crying for salvation, but it's not spiritual salvation, but physical salvation to be delivered from the hands of the Roman because their Passover out of Egypt was a physical deliverance out of Egypt. And they're still looking for a physical deliverance right this very moment. The verse that we're looking at is not spiritual. And this is what they're excited about. So it looked like there's some rejoicing taking place here. But this rejoicing is for a physical Messiah to deliver them. A warrior Messiah to deliver them. Uh, This is a long-awaited warrior to deliver them. Out of the hands of Rome. This is what they're looking for. It's a military deliverance they are after. You see, they know what this, this event represents. This event represents a physical deliverance out of Egypt. And they're celebrating this. And that's all in their mind. That God is a delivering God. That God had delivered us from Egypt in the past. And he's going to deliver us from Rome now. And they are crying out, deliver us, O Messiah. And, and that's a messianic title. And I think Jack read from the messianic psalm this morning. And they have seen Jesus' power and authority demonstrated over and over again. This multitude of peoples who is following Jesus around who are following him now into Jerusalem, they have seen him demonstrate his power and his authority over and over. And they saw this demonstrated in the natural world as well as they saw it demonstrated in the supernatural world. And this is what they all excited about. By virtue of his power and authority has been demonstrated and they saw it, they believe that he can, dem- he can deliver them out of Egypt. This is what they excited about. This is what they are excited about. And that is the cry of Psalm 118.26 that says, Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. They knew he was the king. They just did not understand the nature of his kingdom. Because in a few days, they will say, We have no king. We do not want this man to reign over us. Crucify him. That's what they're going to say in a few days. And you're going to tell me that's a triumphant entry into Jerusalem. And you, and, and you guys in class know how I feel about a lot of these texts. I'm not talking about the scripture. I'm talking about the text that they will give at the top of a chapter. And we know those are not inspired. In fact about it, what is my text here? 
What is my text that I'm speaking from? A secret reveal. That's the text that I'm speaking from because guess what? He's going to reveal himself as king. Now understand this here. The palm branches signify the expectation of a military victory of their king over the occupying Roman. And that's why I quoted 2 King 9. These palm branches indicate that. And you got to take into consideration these are poor peasant who is following Jesus into Jerusalem. And the most valuable thing that they have is their clothes. And they are taking these things off and throwing them on the ground that they may be trotting over by an animal. So they are really looking forward to being delivered out of the hands of the Roman government. And I stand here today and I say it's a tragedy to see the Savior but not recognize him for who he is. And that was their problem. The crowd who was crying out Hosanna on Palm Sunday was crying out crucify him later that week. However, in many ways, it was far from a triumphant entrance because they rejected Jesus Christ. They rejected Jesus Christ. They rejected Jesus. They killed Jesus. And going to a close, look at verse 10 and 11. And when he came into Jerusalem, all the city was moved saying, listen to this, who is this? Who is this? Now, now let me tell you something. Many of these people in this crowd, some of them have been healed by Jesus. Some of the people in that crowd, Jesus had fed them out of the 5,000 and 4,000. But look what they're asking here. Who is this? Because look how he's coming in town on a donkey. Who is this? That's what the people are asking. And listen to this here. And the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. And they was correct. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. If they say, this is the teacher the, uh, of Jesus of Nazareth, they would have been correct. But this is their king coming in here, guys. And they done been around this man and saw all this power demonstrated over and over again. But he wasn't coming as they expected him to come. So they're going to reject him. So the crowd has just moved and the people are caught up in the whole deal and they say, who is this Messiah? Who are we hailing? Who is it? They are preplexed. And even the disciples are preplexed. So just think, here our disciples have spent three years with Jesus. He's been teaching them in an intimate way. They are preplexed. Perhaps the people have a right to be preplexed. 
And some were saying, this is Jesus the prophet. That's right too. But Jesus was more than that. And the only thing that they knew for sure was that he healed the sick. They had seen it with their own eyes. That was why they were shouting Hosanna, not because they knew who he was. The problem, they was not interested in a spiritual kingdom. They did not care to be confronted about their sin. The Pharisees who screamed for his blood, the king of peace who brings salvation and make men right with God. But I tell you one thing, there's coming a day when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The worship then will be real. Also, John records a, a scene in heaven that features the eternal celebration of the risen Lord. Therefore, there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, tongue, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Every nation, tribe, and tongue. That's going to be us. That is us. And we're going to see this. They was wearing white robes and was holding palm branches in their hand. And that's over in Revelation. You can read that. And these palm-bearing saints will shout, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb and who has can measure the sum of their joy. People, that is us. And that is Palm Sunday. Jesus Christ revealing to the world, to the nation of Israel, that he is king. That's what Palm Sunday is all about. And if you want to call it a triumphant entry, I don't have a problem with that. But I hope that you really see from reading Zechariah 9 and based upon him fulfilling that particular prophecy in Matthew 21, 5, that's what's happening. But rejoicing is coming, and that rejoicing is coming, the second coming of Christ. And it's going to be us coming back with him, rejoicing. Let us pray. Father, I just come to say, forgive me, Lord, for breaking down before your people. And Lord, I hope that they can forgive me and can accept the reality that you have entrusted something very serious with us here at Haven. And Lord, I just pray that we will just step up and do what needs to be done. Lord, we look back today and say, the people thought the kingdom was coming. But Lord, you knew judgment was coming. Lord, they thought they would crown you. But Lord, you knew that they would kill you. The king came to die. 
on this Palm Sunday. So Lord, we know that you came out of the grave four days later. And we can say this morning, long live the king. Because he lived, we live and share his life forever. We rejoice in all this in Jesus' name. And God keep us safe. Amen.